you're presenting a live show, how would you like to be heckled, I inquire? And I rather meanly leave it at that, implying that I'm going to heckle him back, but not bothering, hoping the anticipatory fear will be enough to ruin his day. Having taken the plunge in early 1988 and left my job as senior sister at the Maudsley Hospital, my little safety net, though I suppose most people wouldn't see a 24-hour psychiatric emergency clinic quite in this way, I'm suddenly out on my own. Obviously it's a bit of a risk to leave a secure job which I liked and strike out into the murky waters of possible nothingness. Although a nurse's salary wasn't much to write home about, at least it was regular and there was always the possibility that my burgeoning comedy career could take a nosedive before it had even begun. I had been a nurse for the last ten years, six of those years full-time in the emergency clinic, dealing with every possible psychiatric crisis you could imagine, from extreme psychosis to drug withdrawal to personality disorders. I had a mortgage to pay on a flat and plenty of outgoings. Comedy, by contrast, was a hand-to-mouth existence, in which at the end of every show you got a little brown envelope with cash in it or just a handful of notes. I wasn't sure there would be enough bookings to justify my leaving a secure job, so I asked my mum and dad what they thought about it, and they were pretty positive. They could see I'd done my time in a stable job, and to some extent were there as a safety net. They weren't loaded, but they would ensure that I wasn't on the street in a sleeping bag, eating out of skips round the back of Sainsbury's. Friends were also very supportive and thought it hugely exciting. One particular mate had encouraged me right at the beginning by reminding me that I was never going to do it if I didn't take the plunge, and this next stage of sloughing off my job was something most of my friends urged me to do. Added to that, I was bloody knackered, and I really wanted some lie-ins. Given that most of the jobs I'd done up until that point had involved shift work, I fancied a bit of staying in bed till midday with nothing to do until the evening. Comedy also seemed to me to have a built-in social life, and comics seemed like interesting people. I was aware of the dearth of women and wanted to get out there and do some material for the female audience. It wasn't a particularly difficult decision. I've always been somewhat of a gambler because I don't think those huge decisions are irreversible. You can always go back. So while many people are lying awake at night turning a problem over and over in their mind, I'm one of the lucky ones who snores their head off, happily oblivious of life's possible pitfalls. Back to Friday Night Live, the comedy extravaganza on Channel 4, which is the show for all ambitious alternative comedians to aim for at the time. The compare is Ben Elton, the politically motivated, sparkly relentless nemesis of Margaret Thatcher every right-thinking alternative comic's sworn enemy. The show is a hodgepodge of stand-up comedy, sketches and music. I'd found my way onto it because I was invited to attend an audition at the Brixton rehearsal rooms to prove to some people behind a desk that I was worthy of four and a half minutes of jokes on live telly. There's nothing more demoralising for a comic than an unpissed, unsmiling panel of judges in broad daylight staring at you as you struggle through your routine, doing your best to keep it upbeat. It has to be said, though, that in my case, my delivery was about as upbeat as a funeral sermon, given that I'd slipped into an approximation of the way the football scores are read out through a combination of nerves and ignorance. I was finding it impossible to sound like anything other than a depressed bloke with an inability to manage verbal light and shade. 
However, despite this, they booked me, and the experience was exciting and terrifying in equal measure. Of course, never having done telly before, I was swept along in a miasma of glamour and fear, doing a sound check, sitting in my dressing room, telling myself all the clichés such as you've made it and stuff like that whilst glaring at my overlit face in a light-bulbed mirror. I was sandwiched between the Pogues and Mark Thomas dressing room-wise, a strange place to be. I reckon the Pogues had had a half or twelve, as at one point what sounded like a barroom brawl erupted in their dressing room, involving shouting and the sound of wood splintering. I would have been disappointed if they hadn't, though. On the other side, with my door slightly open to catch the maximum effect of my virgin telly appearance, I could hear Mark Thomas negotiating with the producers about the level of bad language he was permitted to use. I'm sure I heard the sentence, If you get rid of a wanker...